So, maybe before I begin, <clears throat> I can't quite ask the people in the walking hall if you can hear me, but there is a volume control in the wall there. So hopefully if uh, you can hear, okay. So welcome, welcome to your meditation place. And what I've loved about doing retreats online during the pandemic is how big IRC has become. The meditation hall at IRC is not just this one room here, but it's spread out into all these homes and places all over the world. It's got huge. And then we came back here at the first retreat last week the meditation hall expanded even more into the walking hall and into the foyer, into the lobby, and into and just what we call the meditation hall now has become so much more. So welcome. And I also include in that welcome the people who are doing this retreat online. Welcome to the retreat and delighted that you're able to participate this way and delighted with Inez uh, uh, supporting the online practici practitioners. So it's nice to remember that uh, how this meditation hall has really no walls that just kind of expands outward and outward and outward and represents the idea of the inclusive nature of that's possible for our awareness, our hearts, our care. And uh, the uh, here at IRC, we are, there's no them here, just all us doing the retreat. And I hope, what I hope is that all of us together are creating a, a welcoming environment. It's certainly Andre and my and Kirsten and Jonathan's wish to have all of you feel welcomed here uh, and that you belong, that this is a place for this week that you can feel like it's your meditation place, your meditation home, that you're, you're comfortable here being yourself as you are. And we would like, uh, you know, many people don't feel included or belonging in our society in so many different ways. And uh, so as the walls expand or break down and we hope that this place is a place that we can all hold each other with our respect, our care, our love and no matter what our differences are, similarities are and whatever background and circumstances of your life. And so uh, I'm very happy to have all of you here. I cherish and value each, each one of you being here and what we're going to create. A couple of things about logistics, maybe. <clears throat> One is that uh, I see that there are two, M two, two chairs over there that are not being sat in, and one floor here that's well supported with support cushions. What we'd like to do is in the hall is not to have anybody reserve two spots for themselves, one chair and one floor. Um, and uh, but rather what we'd like to do is to have a couple of places in the on the chairs that have a sign that says uh, something like not reservable. We had what happened to those signs? They should be here somewhere. We have them already. Not reservable, but kind of first come, first come. So if you come in and it's free, you can take it. You don't have to, you know. And because there's so few places here, so we can't have people as reserving two spots. So I think maybe since those are empty now, I'm trusting that we can maybe put those signs on them, those two. And uh, there, there's floated up the idea that the people who uh, have had a lot of experience of being at IRC before, some of you have been here before, is maybe uh, you're the best candidates for sitting like in the walking hall or outside. So the people who are new, some people are new to retreats even, would have the experience of being in here. It's a little more supportive in that way for them, probably. So uh, I don't know how those of you who are here, maybe when you come back tomorrow morning, you, you can self-select yourself to 
sit in the outer hall or something like that. And finally, um, so the other thing is chairs. Uh, these chairs are what we are the meditation hall chairs, but you're actually welcome to bring any free chair that you can see. If, if maybe you have a chair in your room that's a better one to sit on than these chairs, you're welcome to bring that here. If the mesh chairs work better for you, black ones, I think there's more in the fire closet next to the men's bathroom there. There's so anyway, if you need more chairs, you can even bring up the uh, turquoise chairs if turquoise is a favorite color for sitting on. Uh, you can uh, roll it up from downstairs and uh, up here if that works better for your body. Uh, and you can talk to the managers or uh, you know about you know other chairs if you have any doubts about it. And uh, at the last retreat we did here, we had affinity groups meet on the forest stack during the day. And that worked out really well. Uh, it, the weather was, I think, a little, a little cooler that's planning to be for the next few days. So um, so the affinity groups are, we'll do the same thing. We'll have two affinity groups uh, sittings scheduled. They're optional. And so the, at uh, 1.45, there'll be an affinity group for uh, POC, people of color, people of mixed race. And uh, and uh, and then at uh, three fifteen, uh, an affinity group sitting for people who are LGBTQIA plus. And um, so it's optional. You're welcome to go if you fit the category, you fit the demographic. And uh, and what the, the idea is to have them on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So we'll announce it again, so you'll know when Tuesday is here. And uh, and the first day, uh, on the Tuesday, for the LGBTQIA+, plus Kirsten will be there for the first five or ten minutes in order to uh, just get it established and figure out who's going to ring the bell at the end and just the very simplest things and welcome you. And, uh, and Kirsten... Uh, it belongs to that demographic of people, so that makes sense. We uh, teach none of the teachers are, are POC, so but I'll come to that POC group on the first Tuesday, and uh, just again, just to be there to welcome you and express our appreciation that such a group's happening here. It's, I think it strengthens all of us, but mostly then to just again the simple logistics about bell ringing and things like that. So that's coming. And uh, so, uh, if you have any questions about that or concerns, you can let us know. Okay, so. First, I want to check the uh, the volume. Can you hear me? Okay, is this? Is this working okay? The, the, the mic has to be a little further away from the mouth than usual with the masks. Yeah, I think uh, it does seem to be. Yeah, it's amplifying here. So I want to add my welcome to Gills. As I said in the uh, opening circle, this is my first in-person retreat since March of 2020. So it feels a little different to be sitting with all of you here in the room and knowing at the same time that there's a cohort of people in the uh, wider world sitting with us too. So welcome, welcome to you as well. Those of you who've sat retreats here at IRC before know that we often have a theme for our retreats here. Some kind of an orientation for the teachings to flow, to follow with during the retreat. This week we decided to have the theme connected to 
the the teachings from the Buddha, from the the Buddhist tradition on the foundations of mindfulness, the establishments of mindfulness, the um, main sutta that in which the teachings are described to how to establish mindfulness in a way that supports understanding, understanding the way our bodies, our hearts, our minds work, the way they get caught up, tied up in reactivity, and ultimately the uh, way of establishing an awareness and attention that allows a releasing of those habits of patterns of tendencies that make us struggle. So there's one key text in the Buddhist teachings. In the Pali, it's called the Satipatthana Sutta. And it talks about how to establish mindfulness in this way that supports understanding, freedom, freedom from stress, freedom from suffering. This word sati, sati in the name of the sutta, satipatthana, is usually or often translated as mindfulness. And certainly in the West, we use that word a lot. But what is it? What is mindfulness? What is this quality? We could say a simple basic definition would be being present, being aware. Actually, awareness is my preferred definition, my preferred translation for this Pali term, sati. To me, that word, aware. Are you aware? Is there awareness? Has a more kind of evocative feeling. It's more resonant with the experience that's happening when I'm aware than the word mindfulness. Because often awareness to me has a infused quality, a sense of presence perhaps, and an integration perhaps between body and mind. And so awareness feels like it's more touching that quality. Mindfulness feels more like it's connected with the head somehow. So that's just me, but... uh, I do like to use that word awareness and um, will be during this week probably using them interchangeably, awareness and mindfulness. So just wanted to let you know that. Mindfulness also sometimes talked about as a witnessing of experience and observing of experience connected with experience, feeling into, knowing experience, all of these just kind of different language to connect with what the word means. Or knowing what's happening while it's happening. Maybe that could be a simple working definition for what mindfulness is. Mindfulness Awareness is, I think of it as related to or connected with the, uh, or based on, let's say, an ordinary capacity of our human minds, that we can know what's happening in the present moment. Kind of this self-reflective capacity of our awareness. We can know that we know. And yet we often may not be consciously aware of that 
experience itself. In some ways I think the Buddha was kind of brilliant to connect with that quality, to recognize the value of that quality when it was directed or meeting experience in a particular way. One of my teachers, Sayadaw Utejaniya, a Burmese teacher that I've practiced with, has a phrase, awareness alone is not enough. And I think what that's pointing to, or what he's pointing to there, is that we can know what's happening in the present moment, but also be, have an agenda, have an agenda about, about that, about what we know in the present moment. So take a thief, for example. A thief may be very aware walking through a house as they're looking for things they want to take. Very consciously aware of their, their sound, their noise. And yet the whole motivation behind that being aware is to steal. The motivation of that thief is not, what does it feel like to be stepping right now? What does it feel like to be touching right now? It is aimed at taking something. And so the motivation, the attitude and the mind that's connected with that being present in the present moment is very impactful. And so the teachings in the Satipatthana Sutta give us some clues, give us some support about what we need to be attending to, how we need to be attending more actually than what, how we should attend to experience so that it moves us in this direction of freedom. Sometimes I say that the basic kind of uh, orientation we could say around being mindful is to be curious about experience in the present moment as experience in the present moment. That may sound like nothing, but it's a very different perspective than we may have grown up with, let's say. Our usual perspective with awareness is a perspective that includes I, me, mine, and the perspective that we're encouraged in this teaching is more simply to attend to experience as an experience. What does it feel like to be stepping? What does it feel like to be reaching? What is the experience of the body as a body? So this is a perspective that is pointed to in the Satipatthana Sutta. And we'll be exploring in our reflections this week 
of two key areas of the sutta, two key pieces. And then pulling in, bringing in many of the other pieces too. The sutta is structured, the teaching is structured beginning with a kind of a definition of what is this mindfulness that we're doing anyway? And then it goes on to describe in four basic areas of experience, body, feeling, mind states, and phenomenon from, a, from the perspective of, we could say perspective of some of the relationships between experience. There's a lot of different practices with each of these four areas of experience. But there's something in common that's running through all of these aspects. And partly what's in common is the how to be attentive, how to be aware. And this is described in a few sentences at the beginning of the sutta. And for now, I'll just read it to you. I'll read a mixture of translations here, pulling ones that resonate with me. One abides observing the body is a body, ardent, clearly comprehending and mindful, setting aside greed and distress for the world. One abides observing feeling as feeling, ardent, clearly comprehending and mindful, setting aside greed and distress for the world. One abides contemplating, observing mind states as mind states, ardent, mindful, clearly comprehending, setting aside greed and distress for the world. One abides observing phenomena as phenomena, ardent, clearly comprehending and mindful, setting aside greed and distress for the world. So this points to some of the qualities that are supportive in connection with mindfulness. And we'll explore over some days a little bit of the depth of this phrase. Another kind of repeated piece of the sutta that we'll explore together is what uh, I believe it was Bhikkhu Analio christened the refrain. This is a repeated instruction, repeated encouragement to attend to experience that will orient us towards freedom, orient us towards understanding perhaps the more general qualities, characteristics of experience. It's impermanence. It's nature to not be reliable as something for lasting happiness, not self-nature of experience. So this refrain is uh, 
repeated after every single mindfulness exercise in the sutta. After the Buddha describes mindfulness of breathing, after the teaching describes mindfulness of breathing, it explores this refrain. For basic aspects of experience to see that instruction, that experience through. So the body, seeing the body internally and externally. Our own body, perhaps the body of others, there's some different ways this internally and externally can be understood. So exploring internally and externally, exploring the impermanent nature of experience. Notice the arising, the passing, the arising and passing of experience. Establishing mindfulness simply to know, bear awareness. And the pointer to abide independent not clinging to experience. So these instructions are repeated over and over and over again. They're worth paying attention to. So the first part of the encouragement with the Satipatthana Sutta, my my sense of it is that we're encouraged to really establish mindfulness in this, from this new perspective, from this perspective of curiosity, curiosity about experience as experience. And with that establishment, when there is a, a... a a little bit of continuity, then the mind can turn towards the deeper understandings that will free our habits and patterns. I think of the definition, this first part that I read to you, one abides observing the body as a body, ardent, clearly comprehending and mindful, setting aside greed and distress for the world as a description of the establishing of mindfulness. And then the refrain as being, how do we use that mindfulness established in order to see experience, to free that reactivity, that habitual tightening of greed, aversion, and delusion. So we'll be reflecting on these topics over the course of the week. And yet, the basic practice is pretty simple. It can sometimes take a lot of words to point to something so simple. Can you be with your experience as experience? Just breathing and knowing that you're breathing. Sometimes it's that simple.
So um, now we will shift to exploring the refuges and the precepts together. And um, Kirsten will talk about the refuges and let's see if this will... I think we can use this one, Gil. How's this volume and great? Okay. So at the beginning of retreat, we often invite the taking of refuge. So this practice of taking refuge together in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And Andrea was just speaking to what we might notice when we bring our attention to the present moment, the arising and passing of everything, of thoughts and emotions, of phenomena. So this question or invitation to take refuge, um, what is it that we take refuge in when we really sense the impermanence of things. Refuge really connotes uh, something that we trust, a place where we're free from harm, free from danger, uh, something we can really give our hearts to. So in this practice, we invite the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha as, as three jewels, three things that we can really put our hearts toward and consider a form of refuge of safety. So the Buddha can be interpreted in a couple of ways. One is the Buddha himself and this inspiration of a man who freed his heart and mind completely of delusion, of fear, of anger. And knowing that own capacity, our own innate capacity for that kind of freedom. So we can take refuge in the Buddha for these reasons. And the Dharma also, the Dharma can be considered the actual teachings of the Buddha, this map that he offered, and the real beauty of being on this articulate path towards freedom. And then Dharma as the way things are. Can we take refuge? Can we surrender to the way things are? Sangha is our spiritual community, and here on retreat, we have this amazing opportunity uh, both to be with people and practitioners in the flesh, um, some of us, and others who are connected in virtual, magical ways. You know, we have this Sangha that is without walls. And for those of us who are sharing, this particular center, we can really be buoyed by each other's practice, by the silent, keeping the noble silence and um, really recognizing and reflecting on the sincerity of other people's practice, that that can really help inspire us and fortify our faith when our energy runs low. And likewise, those who are perhaps alone in their spaces physically, but who are connecting um, 
through all of these different ways and knowing that there's others here practicing. But this form of sangha, um, really to take refuge in knowing that we're not alone and that we have that support, that spiritual support. So this is a moment and invite you also to perhaps reflect on the triple gem, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha as refuge throughout the retreat. Um, but right now we'll have an opportunity to um, together bring our minds and hearts together and really voice our commitment to this, our um, place of of solace, of rest, of faith together. And we'll chant these refuges and call and response. And they're in the language of Pali. Um, so just to share what you'll be saying if you do choose to speak these aloud or hum them if that's easier. And the beginning will be giving homage to the Buddha, to the blessed, noble, perfectly enlightened one. And then we will go to the three refuges um, three times, to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And we'll repeat that phrase three times um, with a little preamble of for the second time and for the third time. So again, this will be call and response and maybe just taking a moment to find in your own heart that sense of refuge for you where you bring your faith, where you bring your hearts. Namo tasa. Namo tasa. Bhagavato. Bhagavato. Arahato. Sama Sambuddhasa. Sama Sambuddhasa. Namo tasa. Bhagavato, Arahato, Sama Sambuddhasa, Buddham Saranam Gachami. Dhamman saranam gachami. Dhamman saranam gachami. Sangam saranam gachami. Sangam saranam gachami. Dutiyam pi budam saranam gachami. Dutiyam pi daman saranam gachami. Dutiyam pi daman saranam gachami. Dutiyam pi sangam saranam gachami. Dutiyam pi sangam saranam gachami. Tatiyam pi budam saranam gachami. Tatiyam pi budam saranam gachami. Tatiyam pi dhamman saranam gachami. Tatiyam pi sangam saranam gachami. Tatiyam pi sangam saranam gachami. 
Can everyone hear me okay? Good. Thank you. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about the five precepts. And then I'll go through each of the five precepts, and then we will collectively make our commitment to following the five precepts. It may be helpful to keep in mind that these are not rules. They're not meant to be rigid rules that we follow. They're guidelines. It's a way of protecting our sila, protecting our virtue, making ourselves safe for others. And there's a wonderful result that comes when we practice, when we follow these five precepts, these five training guidelines. And the result is non-remorse. Non-remorse is a condition out of which tranquility arises. And out of tranquility, concentration arises. So when we follow these training guidelines, these precepts, it's a wonderful support for our practice of mindfulness. And our practice of mindfulness supports us remembering to stay in touch with these precepts. So there's this really wonderful way that this can work together being mindful, remembering the precepts, and the, re- and the precepts supporting our practice. So you can think of these five training guidelines, really, it's how we can conduct ourselves in a way that is non-harming. And so with the first, we refrain from intentionally harming any living beings. Even insects. And again, this is an invitation to really explore the wisdom here. And then to refrain from taking or borrowing what is not freely offered. And also to accept what is offered. So if you've been practicing and you feel very familiar with refraining from not stealing, not taking what isn't borrowed or what isn't offered, then maybe just consider how you can practice with this particular precept and really accepting what is offered, really inviting what is offered, being present with that. And the third, abstain from any sexual activity during retreat. Practice noble silence and to refrain from harming by one's speech. This particular precept, we can consider just how we are, um, even within ourselves. Noticing that internal commentary, the internal dialogue, and not causing harm. Again, just being mindful, watching. And the fifth precept, to abstain from using alcohol, drugs, or other intoxicants that cloud the mind. This does not apply to 
any prescription medication that you might be taking. But again, these guidelines for practice, they invite us to really bring this quality of attentiveness and observe. I think the one interesting thing really is as you're practicing, you can really see how this leads to non-remorse and how it is a way of guarding and protecting your virtue, making yourself safe for others and taking care with yourself and others. A way of practicing care. It is a gift that we give ourselves, this non-remorse. And so we will formally take these precepts together, making your commitment while we are here on retreat together, as we form this Sangha, we create this container. And an important part of protecting the container is following the precepts. So this will also be a call and response, but this is just offered in English and spoken. So I invite you to join me here. I undertake the training to refrain from killing living beings. I undertake the training to refrain from taking what is not given. I undertake the training to refrain from intentional sexual activity. I undertake the training to refrain from false speech and practice noble silence. I undertake the training to refrain from taking intoxicants which cloud the mind and cause heedlessness. evening at this point. The hall is, of course, always open. The spaces, the sitting spaces we have are always open. And yet, as Gil said earlier today, it can take some amount of effort to arrive. All of the packing, the traveling, the Work. I know I've been going since early this morning to get here. So uh, we hope that you will rest well this evening. And we'll see you in the morning.
Now, I don't know if it's needed, but I always do it, so I'm going to do it again. That those of you who are practice leaders, because sitting up here to ring the bell, you either sit where I'm sitting here, or you can sit on this chair here. Oh, this one over there. Okay. Yeah? Okay. Okay. It's all changed because of this uh, new system we have for the video. So, yeah, so so if you want to sit in the chair, you sit over there. And if you want to sit uh, here, you sit in this spot. And then uh, uh, if, uh, and tomorrow is a really, there's, the schedule is uh, here, a piece of paper. And I'd recommend that uh, since tomorrow is the first day you do it, check the schedule to make sure you know when it ends. Because, because um, it's not uncommon for people to ring it either 15 minutes too early or 15 minutes too late. Then it's scheduled here. So just because it's variable, different sittings, how long they are. So please check. And finally, if you've never rung this bell before, uh, come up here during a break and, uh, and uh, experiment. Because what uh, it's very common also, people never hit it before. Well, hit it what they think is lightly, and it's a big clang, really large. It kind of jolts people, and you can't undo that. But if you do it really softly, so people can hardly hear it, then you can redo it and make up for it. So, so uh, um, ring the bell softly and then build up the volume until you feel it's just right. So thank you.